Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go. Indie Game Business. Welcome back. Day two of the Indie Game Business Sessions Conference brought to you by our good friends at Tripwire Presents. And first up this morning, we've got Felix Wong from Level Up Partners, and he's going to be walking us through the top 10 pitfalls in publishing agreements and how you can avoid them. That's it. Felix, it's all yours. Awesome. Thank you, Jay. And awesome to be here. Hi, everyone. So yes, I'll be walking through top 10 pitfalls in publishing agreements and how um, dev studios can, can avoid them. So firstly, a bit of background about me. I'm a specialist games lawyer. I've been a lawyer for over 12 years now. I've had the privilege of working in-house um, in various senior legal teams, uh, like Miniclip, Epic Games, Outright Games. Um, I guess my, my career highlight has been, uh, has to be I was general counsel, head of legal at Mediatonic, the developer of Fall Guys, and supporting the founders uh, and the studio on that kind of rocket ship of a, of a journey. Um, and throughout my kind of games career, I've, 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 I've uh, dabbled in a, a lot of publishing agreements and basically any commercial contract between a developer and a publisher. Uh, and I've been lucky enough to sit on different sides of the table so I know Kind of the different approaches and the uh, the rationales behind the positions that, that people take and so i've worked on things whether it's indie or AAA, and whether that's pc console mobile so before we dive into the uh, top 10 then um just a few points to note that i'll be focusing on classic publishing agreements and what i mean by that is that there is a whole rainbow of of agreements that uh, developer studios can can enter into with publishers so you can have your work for hire contracts which are more kind of standard commissioning agreements but I, i'm going to be talking about uh, um, um, publishing agreements in the sense where a developer you know you have an idea that you've you've come up with it's your own original ip and you've pitched to a publisher uh, and you've pitched for for funding and you want their help to take the game to platforms uh, and to market and promote that game on, on your behalf and second point I really want to make clear is the the relationship is is absolutely paramount between you and uh, the publisher that that supersedes anything I, I say really in this in this talk and I will come across sometimes maybe quite cynical uh, that's my job as a lawyer to kind of really scrutinize the position and kind of dwell in the kind of uh, the worst case scenario but on the developer side you know a lot of these things can not only be fixed but in fact prevented if you maintain a great relationship and a great dialogue with your with your publisher 
So hand in hand with that is understanding the publisher position. And that's hopefully what I'll try to do today is to um, kind of explain why the, the publishers sometimes, you know, they may come across aggressive, but actually there's a good commercial rationale for what they're doing. And the more you understand that, the more you can A, get comfortable with it, or B, you know, uh, try to compromise or, or bridge the gap. And finally, you know, this could have been 50 slides. Um, the, the, these 10 points um, are to me the most key ones, they're not in any particular order. Um, but uh, if you feel like I'm, I'm missing anything, don't, don't hesitate to reach out to me afterwards. So first one is the probably the most obvious one, which is uh, check the IP position and please don't uh, assume or uh, ignore it. So uh, I think if I was talking about IP in publisher contracts five, 10, 15 years ago, it would have been much more the norm that a publisher would uh, ask for a transfer of the, the IP in the game to the publisher. Whereas nowadays, I think, especially for indie games, the, the starting point should be that you own the, the IP. So make sure that is clear in the, in the contract. Um, and it's, you know, there are some nuances here, which is you know, su to support your ownership of, that, uh, of the IP in the game, a publisher, what they will be doing is to subcontract with third parties, such as uh, a porting agency or a marketing agency to use your IP and develop new derivative IP from that. And what you want to make sure is that that publisher transfers the IP in those additional derivative works back to you. So that's one thing to, to watch out for. Now, the, the other big point here is to understand that ownership of IP does not mean control of IP. So if I gave you a car, I sold you a car and I said, hey, look, there you go, you can have the keys, let's go and register your ownership at the appropriate places. But contractually, you also have to agree that you can't drive it to anywhere other than the uh, the shops. You can't carry any of the other passengers with, in the car. And you're going to, you can drive the car during certain times of day. Then philosophically, you can ask, well, what's the real, do you really own the car in that, in that sense? And uh, I use that analogy because you need to be careful that there aren't um, uh, onerous contractual restrictions on how you use the your, your own IP. Because in games, this is particularly important when it comes to things like sequels or ports of, of, of your game or other exploitation. Because um, some publishers, and of course not all, but some publishers can be quite aggressive and say that, hey, look, we control um, you own the IP, but if you ever want to develop a, a sequel, you must come back to us, or you want to create a spin-off uh, or any other exploitation, then you need to come back to us. And in that sense, it's it's that's definitely not um, kind of the uh, the market kind of standard position. And I would always say, as a developer, you know, go test that with a publisher. And maybe it's right that you go to a publisher uh, if you have a sequel idea, and the publisher has what we call a, a first right of negotiation. And so they have the first look in and you can talk about it, that's fine. But if the publisher is suggesting that they have perpetual rights for any franchise um, spin-offs in the IP, that's something just to be careful of. And then finally, watch out for backdoor transfers. And, and what I mean by this is some publishers uh, will add clauses into the agreement where 
there is an actual transfer of ownership in the IP on the on certain trigger events. And my position is those trigger events should be extremely narrow because it rarely makes sense for a publisher to assume full ownership of, of, of IP, especially once you've agreed up front that you you hold it. And and so wh where this most commonly comes up is uh, publishers sometimes ask for what's called step-in rights. So if something goes horribly wrong in the, in the, in the game development process, then the publisher will sometimes say, hey, look, now you, you've dropped the ball on this. I want to come in now and take over the, the development and basically sideline you and I will run this show. Um, and in that case, some, some publishers at the same time will say, if we're doing that, we, we want to take ownership of the IP. And that's something definitely to, to kind of test and, and push back on because I would not say that's, that's normal. Okay, there's the next point, um, milestone schedules. And I guess just to uh, set the context here, there are two key financial elements of your publishing agreement. One is the budget of the game, and the, you will agree with the publisher a development budget, which they will pay you to develop the game. And that development budget will be set out in a milestone schedule, which will say, okay, if you hit a certain uh, uh, milestone, let's say you do the, the, the prototype or the vertical slice or the alpha beta, at each stage, you will unlock a new tranche of funds. And once you get to the final uh, gold master version, which is ready for release by the publisher, that's when you will get the final installment of your, of your budget. So that's, uh, that's the, the, the first kind of financial component. The second financial component is a revenue share, which we'll come on to in a second. But I just want to dwell on this milestone schedule uh, first, because this is, it's really important that you get this right. Um, and in fact, if you've got to the stage where you've got a publishing contract in front of you, then you should already have had quite a robust conversation with the, pub, pub, with the publisher around what exactly is the, the budget of the game and the timeline, timeline of the game. And what the milestone schedule will do in the contract, essentially set that out in, in a bit more detail and a bit more specificity. So the key here is just to be very transparent and ro robust as always with your, with your publisher and, and, and to make sure that you can really stand behind that milestone schedule as far as possible. So don't underplay elements and be frank with your publisher if you think there are areas which uh, are harder to scope um, and if there's way to kind of factor that into the milestone schedule. You don't want to be in a position where, you know, six months into a, an 18 month uh, development project, you you turn around to the, the publisher and say, oh, actually, you know, we need to double the, the budget or the timeline. You know, this you want to completely preempt that and have, make sure that you've got the right schedule uh, up front. Now there is, you know, obviously a, a point to any game development, which is plans change. And so um, I often get the question from developer studios of, well, what, what's the point of being so specific with the milestone schedule now? You know, we're gonna, uh, the game is going to uh, change as we go through development and production and we're going to incorporate this idea we can't be that specific and that's true to an extent you you need to accept that there will be changes but with your uh, current vision of the game as that signing the contract you should still try your best to forecast out and map out um what the costs are and to reflect that in your in your schedule 
Now, um, obviously, there's got the uh, uh, the cringe uh, meme to one side here about cash flow, and and I guess this is where you know you will see me hit upon this a lot of times in this talk, which is cash flow is absolutely critical. And so, in the milestone schedule, what you try, should try and ask for is an initial payment upfront on signing, and because as a studio, the biggest risk to you is, is frankly just running out of money and not paying your uh, your employees uh, on time or your the studio costs or the contractors. And so if you can negotiate a, a day one signing payment, that will ease the, the cash flow burden hugely for you. Um, and most publishers are actually receptive to this. Um, as to the percentage of what that initial payment could be as a percentage of the total budget, that can vary uh, considerably, um, but it's it's definitely something to uh, uh, to seek out. Now onto the rev share. So this is the the second key financial element of your publishing agreement, and just to again set the context, um, we think about the the flow of payments, and sometimes we people will refer to it as the waterfall of payments. An end user will buy your game from a platform. So the platform will receive uh, the, the purchase price and that platform, that's called, that's called PlayStation, they're going to deduct their 30% of fees and they're going to deduct a few extra percent for taxes. And then that platform will then pass on um, the remaining amount to the publisher. And the publisher is then going to make some further deductions of their costs. And then they'll end up with what's called a net revenue amount and that net revenue amount is then going to be split uh, between you and the uh, the publisher in accordance with the pre-agreed percentage and so this percentage split um you know this is an area which it's a, a common pitfall surprisingly of developers not pushing on this because it's a very key term of the contract and don't assume that um, a publisher is just completely inflexible on this. Very rarely have I seen publishers just slam the door on developers asking uh, or, or wishing to negotiate this uh, revenue share percentage. Um, and by the way, this is uh, there's some like competing terminology. People call it royalty share or royalties or revenue share. It's all the same point. This is the, the split or the the commission that the publisher takes before handing the the remainder of the money onto you as a developer. And so to to start understanding and negotiating, you know, this this key part, you need to understand the different components of that revenue share because it's not necessarily just a straightforward split. Um, as I've said, the publisher, before handing on the money to you to you, they will make some deductions first. And so there are some deductions which are absolutely standard by a publisher, and that will include the publisher recovering what they've paid as part of the development cost. So all the money that we've talked about that's set out in the milestone schedule, a publisher, remember they've put that money, they've advanced that money to you on risk, right? And so they want to get that money back first. So typically um, they will recoup that money from the money they receive from the platform. And so there's a rec recoupment amount which you need to uh, understand in the contract. And then you also need to understand what other deductions are taking place because publishers will say, well, there's not just the development advance we paid you. We've also engaged and we've paid for marketing and promotion. And we may have um, 
done some extra QA or localization on the game. All those are costs which we've paid up front, so we need to recoup back, which, you know, most of the time is absolutely fine. But you just need to work, be careful if there are other deductions that are uh, added to that uh, to that list, because it can be quite a, the devil is in the detail, basically. Um, and you need to understand exactly what's coming off the top before you're getting your your slice. Final point on, on the kind of first uh, the first bullet there was the re recruitment rate. So what I mean by that is, let's say you get a contract which does indeed say the publisher recovers all marketing and recovers all development fees first, which is which is normal. Um, that means on the face of it that you receive nothing as a studio up front. And so you need to wait till the publisher receives all those all that money back first before you receive a penny. And again, coming back to cash flow, that might put you, the studio, in a difficult position because you've worked on this game and you've launched it and you've got these development advances from the milestone schedule and you've used those development advances to pay um, your, your staff. But on release, there's no more development advances available because that's the end of development. You've, you've, you've completed the game. And so you may be relying on a percentage of royalties coming through to keep the lights on. Uh, and to pay the staff. So in that case, many uh, publishers now are open to the fact that they don't recoup all those deductions at 100%. So they will share, they will still share a small percentage of what they receive from the platform with you while they are recovering these paid amounts like their development fees and marketing costs. And so that's something definitely to uh to to to, to look out for that's not in the uh the contract now once you've understood all, understood all of those concepts and understood what's in front of you from the publisher you should you should math it out so you should you should model it out um and hopefully as part of your pitch you were already have done some forecast and some kind of um case planning so you might have a worst case middle case best case of how the game could perform and you should feed those numbers and unit sales, et cetera, into a, a, you know, a very basic model that takes into account what the publisher has proposed to you on this revenue share. Because from that, you can understand, okay, what am I going to, what am I the studio uh, uh, going to receive at the end of the day, if we go base, middle and high? Um, and that will inform whether you think the deal is reasonable or not and inform your negotiations. Um, and third point here is, so to really scrutinize the um the definition of um the definitions used in these uh, in this clause and so again the, the devil is in the detail when we talk about net revenue what does that mean it means gross revenue less deductions what do those mean and you can keep double clicking but because these are absolutely key financial concepts you need to understand it's it's worth uh, understanding as, as a quick example um gross revenue you want that to be as wide as possible because the wider that is that means that's more that's going into the funnel and so after deductions that's more that's left for you as the developer but some contracts do not expressly capture advances that a publisher is receiving so let's say a publisher receives a uh, uh, does a deal with game pass microsoft game pass and microsoft pays them a million up front for that fee that exclusivity fee Sometimes that's not captured. And to me, that's a problem because that one million, that should all flow through this waterfall uh, to the to developer. 
it's just, just one example why um, it can be a bit painful, but definitely make sure you understand the, the nuances here. Okay, so um, limiting scope creep, then the perennial problem of game development is, of course, um, adding in features and expansion of uh, development times and uh, and concepts being thrown in. And, uh, you know, this can come from different sources and it can come from you as a developer or, or the publisher. If it's you as a developer, of course, that's under your control. And I'm sure as developers, you have a, you know, you should have a, a rigorous and ruthless uh, methodology to executing and pruning anything that uh, threatens to, to the um, uh, expansion of the scope. Because if we if we take a step back and we look at the the contracts as as it stands, then you will only be paid for what's in the milestone schedule. So if you choose to voluntarily start adding more features and uh, increasing the months required to develop some of the additional uh, gameplay and features. As it stands, the contract uh, under the contract, you won't get paid for that because the publisher hasn't agreed to that. All they've agreed to is the original budget. So, um, you, I, in that case, you need to make sure that if there is a feature that um, you, you didn't foresee originally, then you have a, a conversation with the publisher about it. And you, what you want there is an amendment to the milestone schedule, which clearly sets out not just the additional. Uh, deliverables and additional gameplay that you'd be developing, but a corresponding payment as well from the publisher. Uh, so that's where uh, that's an example of where uh, changes can come from you, the developer. But what about publisher um, requested features? And that's when it, it can get a bit more interesting um, because sometimes you would disagree, and a publisher will say, "Actually, no, I, I, I think we really do should, you know." Um, we should have this uh, additional monetization mechanic or we should have this particular uh, feature and and the question is how does a contract deal with that and so as a as a developer you want to be very very clear that the publisher does not have a broad right just to demand additional development uh, on the studio because as i said in the absence of any uh, amendments or uh, new a milestone schedule, you won't be paid for any of that. You There will be no corresponding payment without a, an amended milestone schedule. So normally, there should be a clause in the contract that says any changes, any material changes from the scope of the, of the game, from the milestone schedule, should trigger a change process where effectively the parties will sit down together and they will discuss a new milestone schedule and a new corresponding payment. Okay. So next point here is um, understanding the review mechanism. So what do we mean by that? Um, this is all about being paid. So in the mouse, you have the milestone schedule, and I've explained that that basically breaks down the game into uh, certain checkpoints. And once you complete each checkpoint, you'll be paid. So the publisher, from their point of view, they want to make sure that you've reached that checkpoint properly. You, know, you can't just give them a, a, a crappy build and expect payment. And so there's what's called a, a review process, a review mechanism, the approval mechanism, all mean the same thing. And so there'll be a prescribed procedure in the contract which sets out the time periods of how long a publisher has to review the build, uh, how long the feedback process will take, what happens if they have 
uh, if they spot defects in the build or they want to reject the build, how does that work? And so there's a whole approval process, which um, practically speaking is, 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 is normally uh, not followed in that if you have a good relationship with your publisher, no one's going to look at the contract every three minutes and check are we following through all these steps. No, this is that's never an issue. It's only, of course, when things start going pear shaped and when there are delays, that's when people get out the the contract, and that's when you need to see whether you've protected yourself or not. And and things to look out for here are your um, the, the time periods that a publisher has to approve. There should always be uh, some sort of uh, time period and. Now, what I've seen as, as generally market is, is 10 business days for a publisher. It could be 10 to 15 business days for them to re review what you've submitted um, and for them to get back to you with uh, either an approval or, uh, or, or a list of defects and changes that they need before they can approve. And also watch out for any subjective language here. Um, and this is, this again is, it can be quite tricky because all games are inherently subjective when people judge them and play them. And so what you may think is hitting the quality bar for a pre-alpha build may not be what a publisher thinks. So from a developer's point of view, you want to try to limit as much subjectivity in the publisher's assessment as much, uh, as, much as possible. So you try to avoid language where the publisher you know, at its absolute discretion, can approve or reject builds. What you want to do is tie the publisher's approval right to what has been set out in the milestone schedule. And so that will ring fence um, how potentially unreasonable they could be with the, the feedback they provide. Because, you know, this is the first bullet here. It all goes back to cash flow and making sure at this stage that you're paid on time. Because every delay here means you're not going to get paid for your um, the, the bill that you that you submitted. And you know, this is one of the most frequent um, causes I've seen of developers uh, either winding up or, or having uh, uh, huge financial problems is, is where you know, they, they simply aren't paid on time by the by the publisher. And that could be for legitimate reasons by the publisher, because, you know, the publishers reject the build. It's the, the developer hasn't um, uh, built it properly or it could be because the publisher has has for some reason just delayed or sat on um, sat on the bills which is why all these points are um, are really key okay so next point uh, aligning expectations and responsibilities and this is all about coming back to the initial point I said which is just have uh, your relationship with the publisher is 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 the most important thing here and if you have an open and transparent dialogue then you're going to dispel any unreasonable or unrealistic assumptions that either side will have and i guess i found particularly with some uh, more of the the kind of first time studios and indie studios sometimes there's um a, a kind of a unrealistic assumption of what a publisher will do for them um and so the way to flush that out is just to be very clear about it and ask them what you're doing. And the way to be absolutely specific about this is to test it in the in, in the contract. So if a publisher has said, oh yes, for all our games, we guarantee um, uh, you know, 200 grand of, uh, 200,000 of uh, marketing budget, then put that in the, if, if, if that hasn't been, um, 
if they're being cagey about that, then put that in the in the contract. Because if they, if if that's been sold to you as a hard commitment, then it should go into the contract and uh, be reflected as such. Equally with the publishing rights, um, there's quite a, a a common issue in in many publishing agreements in that publishers normally will have the right to publish the game, but not necessarily an obligation to publish the game. And you may think, well, what does that mean? So when you when you sign this contract, what you're doing is giving a publisher an exclusive license to to publish the game on certain platforms. But that doesn't mean that they have to. And so the risk here for you is that a publisher will simply sit on the game. And you may think, well, that's just that would be stupid of them. They, if they've invested all this money in, and paying and they paid you all these development costs to to build the game to a certain level. Uh, or to get it to release, why would they sit on the game? And uh, when I first started in the industry, I asked the same question. It would be madness. They, they would just be, uh, they were wasted all their money. But weirdly, it happens. Um, and why that happens is still a bit of a mystery. It could be a change in strategy by the publisher. It could be corporate events that are outside the publisher, publisher's control. But clearly, you as a developer, you know, do not want your game to be tied up in essentially contractual limbo with a publisher that has no appetite to release the game. So think about if there's anything in the contract that compels the publisher to release, perhaps after a certain window of time. So perhaps after you've sent them the, the final gold master of the final game, um, they have a six month window to, to release the game on the initial platform. Something like that uh, is worth thinking about. Uh, final point here is around creative controls. And I think developers, I think they've been maybe wound up slightly by, I don't know, it's people in social media or the press about uh, about making sure you've got creative control and don't let the publisher interfere. And it's right to be um, cynical and to, and to be careful of that. But my experience is most publishers, particularly the ones that are um, indie, uh, indie facing publishers, they, they don't want, uh, creative control and they're actually practically happy to, to leave that with you um, what they want is control on autonomy over the publishing aspect and the marketing aspect and so it's worth checking the contract to see what if it talks about you retaining creative control um, but I think this is a point more to do with picking the right publisher and understanding how they've worked with developers in the past uh, rather than um, anything else. You have got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash Indie Game Business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck, finding a publisher and more. Remember, it's discord.gg slash indie game business.
So uh, next point here is ancillary rights. And there's been a lot of buzz recently around transmedia, these kind of 360 exploitation, they all mean similar things. And I guess that's been spurred on by the success of The Last of Us and Cyberpunk, Edge Runners, uh, all those types of uh, additional exploitation of game IP that's outside of digital entertainment, uh, interactive entertainment property. And you know, this is something which I, is a trend that will, I think, only grow uh, and increase in value um, over the next few years as, as everything starts converging more and more. And so it's definitely something to keep an eye on because some publishing contracts will, as a starting point, give all those rights over to the publisher. And that's something which I think um, should definitely be, be tested. Um, and, and the value of those rights and how much you care about them and how much you want to you know, push back really depends on the, the game genre um, and what you, know, you have in mind. Because if, if this is a, uh, you know, it could be on the most extreme end, a hyper casual mobile game, you may not care about this. There may be limited uh, uh, upside to this kind of additional exploitation. Whereas on the other side, you're creating this whole MMO RPG with a really deep lore that you've built and there's characters and you can see it, you know, being turned into a novel or something, then there's obviously a lot more potential for that to be exploited in all sorts of ways. And that's where you, know, you should you should test and understand your rights here. Um, and it comes back, you know, the, the, I've put the final bullet here is what is the publisher's track record? Because some publishers will take those rights. And my question always to them is, okay, well, why, why do you deserve that? Of course, we're giving you the game's rights because you have a track record. You've released X and Y hits and they've been at the top of the Steam charts. But what, have you released books? Have you released films? Like, have you, what, what crossovers have you done? Um, because what will normally happen is you know, most games publishers, they, they don't have this expertise. And in fact, they, Will appoint a third party, um, someone like an agent in the in the film or TV or music space to exploit those rights, and so essentially you're just creating another middleman there, um, and so it's it's questionable how much value the the publisher is adding, and therefore should they be receiving a percentage cut for any of those um, any revenue that comes from that exploitation. Okay, so uh, non-compete, uh, this uh, it's shorthand for non-competition clauses or another, um, another name for them is, is restrictive covenants. Um, and so what the hell are these? So these are restrictions that a publisher places on the developer to make sure that they're not distracted or working on a competing game alongside your development of the game that is, is under contract. And so a, a, a publisher has a legitimate interest here, making sure that you're focused on working on the, on the game. And also that post-release of the game, uh, once development has finished, that you're not going to take all the know-how and take the uh, underlying IP and uh, any other um, valuable bits and pieces of technology and to create a clone of the game or to create some sort of spin-off that's outside the contract. 
because that of course cannibalizes the revenue that they're meant to receive from uh, the original game and so there's very typically this non-compete clause which limits what developers can do for a certain period and again the devil is in the detail here because you need to be a little bit suspicious of how these are drafted because most of the time there will be the starting point will be they'll be quite broad um, and the risk is for you as a developer is you need the freedom to move on to other projects or to maybe work on other projects in parallel because if you're uh, you know your studio will have plans I'm sure it's, it may not just be a, a one-hit wonder it, you'll have a pipeline of projects that you want to work on and maybe you want to work on some work for hire projects at the same time or some uh, other original IP projects and so you don't want this non-compete clause to prohibit you from developing your studio's strategy and other revenue streams and that's why you need to focus in on things like the definition of competing game and um, uh, uh, definitions of restricted period because with competing game that will tell you exactly what you can and can't do restricted period will tell you how long do these uh, uh, restrictions apply for and so there's a few nuances here that you can always uh, test as part of your negotiation which includes drawing a line between development and release so just to expand on that point it may be totally fine for you as a developer to not release any sort of product that could be competing with the main game um, while that game is live for the term but there's, a, there's an argument that you can still develop that internally so maybe you want to either work on a sequel or spin-off or you or use the technology that you built into a different game you should be able to work on that internally and all you're saying is you're working on it internally but you're not going to release it because if you're not releasing it then it's not going to cannibalize any sales right so that is sometimes a compromise that that will work with with publishers now termination scenarios is a point that any uh, party and it's not just development studios but in any commercial contract no one likes to dwell on um, but it is a point that unfortunately you, you do have to and this again comes back to protecting your studio from the downside risks of what happens if things just don't work out and it's important in this context to understand that the termination rights that each party has in a publishing agreement will not be equal and that's standard but, and, and that stems from the fact that the relationship is fundamentally not a perfectly mutual one, right? Because we have to remember that if we talk about pure kind of hard, cold cash terms, the publisher is the one most exposed, right? Because they, at the beginning of the, the contract, they're the ones paying you up front and they're basically betting that you're going to develop this game. They're paying you a whole load of money and you're going to, you know, make a hit out of it. And because there's that imbalance there, that, that, that feeds through to these termination rights. And so in any uh, contract, any commercial contract, there's normally two types of termination rights. You have termination for breach of contract, where someone has effectively just, you know, they, they've uh, messed up, they've not complied with obligations. And so this is a serious issue. And that's quite standard for any commercial contract and will also exist in their publishing agreements for both sides. Now, the one to, to dwell on a bit more is your 
termination for, for convenience, right? Now, as a developer, you will not normally have a termination for convenience, right? Um, and the publisher is, they, they want you to be, to be locked in because they're, remember, they're putting this money up front at risk on them and they don't want you just to walk away from the game halfway through development, which is going to be pretty impossible. In fact, like completely impossible for them to parachute a, another developer to come in and pick up the pieces, particularly when that, uh, that game was your idea, you had the vision, you understood the design. And, and so they, they, want, they don't want any developers having a, a right just to walk away. So you won't have that termination for convenience right. On the flip side, a publisher will have a termination for convenience right, which is, which is quite normal. Um, and this is, it's a protective measure for them to walk away from the project. And in that case, normally they will say, we're going to exercise the termination for convenience and you will keep the money that we've already paid. And that should be a given that they don't try to recover the money they've advanced to you uh, while you've been developing this game. But on top of that, there's a there's a strong argument, and, the, and it's growing stronger you know, every year, that developers should also be paid some sort of compensation payment, let's call it. And that's because if, as a developer, imagine you, you have all these plans, you've, you've built up the team to a certain level, you're halfway through development of this project, and suddenly you receive this termination notice from a publisher. That's going to be, you know, it's going to be a bad day. Um, but it's going to be even worse when you think about the commitments you've made, you know, the, the cost that you've got out, uh, that you've had got to pay uh, each month to the employees that you've recruited. And you've not got another contract. You've got not got another uh, project for these, uh, for your team to move on to because you've literally just received this notice from the publisher. And so as a developer, you should be arguing for a bit of an additional payment if the publisher exercises this termination for convenience right because it's fundamentally it's, it's a bit unfair right they, they, the publisher here has, has walked away uh, and you're you know you're left hanging a bit and you're going to have to scrabble around to find a new project pretty soon uh, and if you don't you might have to you know lay off some people um, and the final point on the termination side here is around survival of provisions so what we mean here is any clauses that survive post-termination. Um, and you just need to be uh, careful as a developer, particularly where you hold the IP, that there aren't any kind of tail rights or kind of gotcha clauses at the end, which, uh, which remain in place following termination of the contract. From your side as a developer, once there's been a termination event of, of any sort, then you know the um, the publisher maybe has a period to wind down distribution of your game and to settle the remaining amounts. But then pretty much you should recover all your rights, and so you should be free uh, contractually to go to another publisher or to maybe self-publish the game. And you don't want anything in the contract interfering with um, those plans in that scenario. Okay, so. Uh, Final point here is maybe one of the more important ones, which is conduct reverse due diligence. And by that, I mean, prevention is always better than cure. So research the publishers that you're getting into bed with, because it, 
it is a bit like we're being married to them contractually for this term and don't judge a book purely by its cover um there are you know many pub many publishers out there uh, and indie indie facing ones which have incredible pr and marketing but just because they've spent a huge amount on their marketing budget and pr budget and they say they're indie friendly doesn't necessarily mean a lot of them are and i don't want to um have a too broad brush here but you know what you should do is talk to other developers that the publishers that that publisher has worked with um try and get the inside track on how they work operationally and day to day are they responsive you know how have how has a publisher reacted when there has been a bit of scope creep have they been you know collaborative or uh, have they been stricter uh, don't be shy of asking your own questions and ask around um because this is you know probably the you know the, the biggest point if you find a publisher that you generally trust and get along with in fact most of these points um that i've talked to they will be resolved one way or another uh, and but of course the flip side is um is very different uh and so i've got a quick bonus here of course which is uh, make sure you you do get proper legal advice at the at the right stage um and that normally is to be at the term sheet stage and so a publisher when they if they make you an offer they shouldn't just give you the 20 page publishing agreement straight away they should give you some sort of short form it could be indicative terms people call it a letter of intent a non-binding offer term sheet they all mean the same thing all it is is a non-legally binding list of the key commercial points of the deal and don't make the mistake as some people do of thinking okay these are commercial points so a lawyer won't care about them um and you know, I, I will uh, let's agree this first this is the first and then i'll when i get the long form in i'll then send that to the lawyer at that time if you do follow that approach it's almost too late for the lawyer to help you meaningfully on any of these points we've discussed uh, because I've, a lot of those points aren't really legal actually if you think about the 10 points i've, I've dwelled on hopefully i've i've kind of um helped you understand that some people might characterize them as legal points but they are very commercial in nature and so you need to make sure you have an advisor who understands both those elements not just the legal uh, points but the the commercial context within which they sit because that will help you understand which battles you want to fight because you're not going to be able to fight them all and what is is market and what is standard because if you work with someone who's been here been there and done it before they will know okay the publisher's not being crazy here. i think we can accept this point but this other one let's push back on so i think yeah always make sure you get proper advice so uh this is it from me uh very happy to answer any questions uh my linkedin uh QR code is here and uh, even after this session uh, don't hesitate to reach out to me directly if you've got anything excellent so like take your phone scan the little QR code right there right <laughs> there you go all right so we do have a question we've got a bunch of questions uh let's see here this one's from discord how specific do you need to go on the marketing commitment? Yeah, great question. So 
I think um, you should always raise it as a as a point at the at an early stage when you're when you're pitching to them. Remember, even at that stage, uh, it's not just a one way process. So you should ask a publisher uh, at the end of even those initial conversations. What what do you do for you know game studios like me, or what do you think? What would your plan be? And so you start to open up that whole topic of what do they do on the marketing side, the PR side, influencer campaigns, all that thing. And then from there, you should you should drill down a bit more and maybe not in that, obviously, that the initial pitch conversation, but as conversations progress, you should loop back to that topic and say, okay, I just want to understand a bit more detail and, and talk about numbers and talk about timelines and commitments and um, any case studies they have. Because it may not be the case that you get everything enshrined in your publishing contracts, but at least you have a good commercial conversation and you're, you can get on the, on the same page as to uh, the numbers and what exactly they're doing. And it's so easy to not get into the details to where then as you're progressing, then all of a sudden you're like, well, when is this going to happen? What is that? How, I thought this was going to happen, but it's not written down. So yeah. exactly. Exactly. Our, here's a good one from Axel P on YouTube. Do publishers sometimes sign games? to be able to remove a game in order to enhance the impact of a concurrent game. Wow. Yeah. I love the uh, cynicism in this, uh, <laughs> in this, in this question. Um, I have not come across this. I've, um, I guess the only context I've come across that is in kind of corporate M&A where, you know, companies will gobble up smaller companies to take out the competition. I've not seen publishers go down that route. Uh, that is, um, maybe it has happened, but I think, you don't need to dwell on that uh, too long as a, as a risk. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they pay you a bunch of money and then, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, is the point to have the game released or to make money or to, I guess it all depends on what your goal is, right? All Absolutely. right. Here's another one from Discord. What are some positive approaches to supporting startup studios that are new to managing IP rights? Okay. So, um so yeah i'm just thinking about yeah managing ip rights uh, i'm trying to un unpack the 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 question there so um i guess in terms of protecting your ip um as a startup there are some basic things to to think about which include you know, starting with the game name um making sure you do some basic checks uh, and checking that you don't pick a name that's been trademarked or you don't pick some key characters or terms that are, you know, already, you know, don't call your game, for example, um, uh, Candy something something saga, you know, any, anything like that. But all those terms within trademark to death, that's just one thing. And think about being proactive with your own registrations. And trademark registrations can be quite costly, but you should at least think about an initial registration in the territory that you're in. So for example, I'm from the UK and to do a UK trademark is, is actually quite cheap and, uh, and straightforward. And you, it gives you an ideal launch pad to then register other trademarks in other jurisdictions. Um, away from trademarks, I mean, in terms of just managing your, uh, I, managing and protecting your, your IP rights, um, I guess the, the biggest risk and the biggest gap I've come across is where studios don't have proper ownership of their own IP. So what I mean by that is, as a studio, you may engage an outsourced developer to work on your game. You may bring in some music from 
a mate of yours to to add to the game. But if you don't have a contract governing those relationships, then you're going to be find it you know very difficult going forward to exploit the game because a publisher will be asking you, okay, well, do, do you really own all the IP in, in your game? Do you, do you have that music? Do you have the right license? Um, because the platforms will be asking them the same question. And so you need to make sure you have the proper paperwork in place whenever you bring on any third party um, input, whether it's a development or license mm. or other asset. Okay, that's good stuff. All right, we are going to, I'm going, we're going to bring something up here. Some people missed the QR code. So I'm just going to leave that up. So get your QR code, get it right now. Yeah, there was a comment uh, in the back here that says uh, uh, that they missed QR code. So we're just going to leave that up right there. Uh, Felix.wong at Level Up Partners. It's L-V-L-U-P dot partners. Thank you. And in the meantime, while we leave that up, let's pop up this question. Well, I guess people won't be able to see it. <laughs> so we'll just leave that up for a little bit, just for people to be able to get a chance, get your phones out. And if you don't get it right now, there's going to be a VOD, so you can go back and watch it at the VOD. So here we go, another one from Discord. How should you handle a significant deviation from your original milestone schedule? While you suggested that we should have the correct one from the beginning, there's always a possibility of a what-if scenario. Yeah, great question. And this is actually very, very common. And that and deviations from the milestone schedules are, you know, I, I think most games actually that have been released will have deviations from their milestone schedule. So the most important thing here is, is to be upfront and transparent with your publisher um, and to get on top of what's causing that deviation and to scope it out. And so not to instantly pick up the phone to the publisher when you when you see something going pear-shaped, but you, you want to do a bit of planning beforehand and you want to scope out what is the additional delay, what's the additional cost, uh, what's the impact on other milestones, and then go to the publisher with a plan. And so be prepared to answer some, you know, the, the publisher will have some searching questions. So what, what, how has this arisen? How can we stop it again? What's the impact? So you, you want to be prepared and go, in, go to the publisher with, hey, look, you know, this is an issue we've identified. Um, I think <laughs> we've, we've got a plan to solve it. It's going to re require some ex extra budget, please. Um, <clears throat> uh, and But he here's the plan, and, and we know what we're doing, so we're going to mitigate the risk of this happening again. So the first part of that answer is, don't freak out, man. <laughs> don't panic, right? Yeah. Don't Thank panic. You, yeah. Have a plan. Have a plan where if things do go, you know, be be able to course correct. Course correction is super important. <clears throat> okay, here's another question from Discord. Can you recommend any books or educational websites for someone who's interested in starting their own studio but lacks knowledge about IP? Ooh. Oh, yes. Um, so you can, of course, find lots of books about IP from Amazon, but my worry is they will be very academic and and too generic and not focused enough on the game space, which, uh, and because the industry is so sophisticated now, there are lots of particular nuances uh, that arise in particularly the publishing contract. What I would suggest is even with, you know, it, it, th these types of presentations and check out the YouTube of in the games business because you know the, the, their channel has all sorts of uh, and no one's told me to to I'm not uh, to say this by the way I'm, I'm just being genuine but there are so many resources online 
um, where if you, I think, just type in some, some keywords around games and IP and indie uh, development, you should be able to find plenty of resources that's just free and out there. Um, and that would be a great starting point. All right, man, we've got a bunch of questions here. Um, another one from Discord. What would you define as excessive when reaching out to a publisher? If significant updates occur throughout the week, would it be best to summarize them at the end of the week or on a few designated days? Uh, yeah, yeah. So most publishers will, at the outset, plan a certain cadence and schedule of meetings. And so they will say, hey, let's, let's have a, a fortnightly like check-in or maybe a weekly check-in. Uh, that's quite that's quite brief and it could be just like a stand-up. And then maybe they'll have a longer monthly or quarterly check-in if it's a longer um, development schedule. And so you have those touch, point, touch points already. Um, there is something about not overloading the publisher or making them feel like you're in any way out of control, whether that's justified or not. And so not peppering them with too many questions. So it, it does make sense to to gather kind of minor issues up um, and to, if you've got the next weekly call, you know, a, a few days isn't too long to wait to raise those for the publisher. Um, but if there is anything major, anything that's like a blocking issue, you're, you're waiting for the publisher to come back to you on something and they may have forgotten about it, or there's a, a platform certification request that has gone wrong and it, you know this could derail the timelines that's something that naturally you need to escalate asap um and so this is a, a case by case uh, uh review right and they they should have a schedule right uh and then like stand-ups and all that kind of stuff all right yeah. this is a good uh is games I have a solo game project I want substantial funding for, but I don't want to give up control of my game. What kind of publishing deal slash contract should I go with? Right. Okay. So this sounds like a uh, uh, more of a classic publishing contract. Um, you, you, yeah, I, I don't, obviously there are lots of details to unpack into what that game is and what's the potential upside for uh, a publisher, but um in an ideal scenario yes you you go to to pitch if you're looking at a um uh, a game with a sizable budget what you should be doing is going through your uh, a list of potential publishers that you think could work with uh, uh, your type of game and the genre of, of game and the platforms that your game will be on and then going down that list and shortlisting okay which ones have a the appetite and the money to provide a bigger budget because from your question it sounded like they uh, uh, this is this isn't like a a small kind of five figure um, indie game budget so there'll be a finite list of publishers in the indie space that will uh, potentially be interested in in your game and so that's who you need to hone your pitch to um, and then from that point on uh, publishing contracts. You know, by their nature, they they will be you know, dictated by the publisher as a starting point. So, in these negotiations, you won't be approaching the publisher and saying, "Oh, hey, look, here's my term sheet. Here's my publishing contract." That's never the case. The publisher 
we'll be saying, oh, here's my offer, here's, here's my terms, and, and you need to go away and, and consider them. And hopefully you get to a point where there are multiple offers, and that's when you can you know, negotiate the, the best outcome for your studio. Excellent. We've got a few more questions. Let's see if we can get to them. There's three more questions. Uh, here we go. Are percentage splits affected in the event of a sale such as a Steam summer sale, and does it affect recoupment rate? Uh, so quick answer, no. Okay, there you go. It depends. There's That's the uh, famous indie game business. Uh, so here's a two-parter. Uh, I submitted a pitch deck. Oh, here we go. I submitted a pitch deck of my game to a publisher. It's been almost a month now, and they still haven't responded. Does this count as them refusing to partner with me? And is it something that more publishers have a tendency to do as well? Also, if they haven't responded, what's the ideal next step? Yeah, so really quickly, this is really difficult. There's a common problem. People in the industry are nice people. They hate saying no. And so uh, it's. I would lean towards it's probably a no, but there's you, you should check back in because they are very busy. The inboxes are overloaded. It could be something entirely innocent, but um, don't rest all your hopes on that, but equally check check back in and prod them uh, and see if there's other contacts at the publisher that you could you could reach out to, to to nudge them along. Yes, definitely follow up, right? Okay, last one. From Ranos on Twitch, if a studio comes to a publisher with their first game, what can the studio do to up their chances to be accepted besides um, make a really awesome game? Yeah, yeah. This is quite a big... Uh, topic in, in, in itself um, it, it's uh, in a nutshell it comes down to, to planning and uh, uh, and watch yeah again watch some of these talks around uh, how to present and pitch yourself to a, to a publisher to because you, you're gonna have to nail uh, as a first-time studio of course you don't have the track record that a lot of publishers will be looking out for but you need to still uh, you know come up with some credibility around why you know they should have trust and faith in you with, with their money and so you mm -hmm. need to build that story and you know uh, i guess it, it's a it's a as you're playing on new game plus it is going to be a, a tougher gig but you you, you you know there is a lot of materials and tips out there to make sure you um you maximize your chances yes and indie game business if you look at our youtube channel we have a playlist that is pitching pitching it's specifically pitching and publishers so Go through that stuff and look at all the videos in the past. Felix, thank you so much. We really appreciate you. Uh, Tripwire Presents, thank you so much for being an amazing sponsor. Next, we have Karis Reed, and uh, her talk is Automate Your Way to Audience Happiness. This is this the last talk she did was amazing. This one's going to be amazing. Thank you so much, Felix. Yeah, this thank is you. great. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.